on today's show, Houston Rockets training camp, day three reactions and takeaways. Alper and Shingun looking absolutely dominant in the scrimmage footage that we saw and surprisingly good on the defensive side of the basketball. Plus, Jalen Green adjusting to his new role, playing more of an off-ball role this season, as well as Zach Lowe with his article about the possible ascension of Jalen Green here entering year three. Reggie Bullock finally makes his way to the Houston Rockets officially and so much more. It's all coming up right here at Locked on Rockets. This is Mission Control, Houston. Ignition sequence start. Throw it up to Jalen Green. Shingun here in the short row. Oh, my, that's the no look. Jabari for three on the win. Yeah! Look at Tarisen. Here comes Tarisen. Oh! T-minus 15 seconds. Guidance is internal. The Houston Rockets select Amen Thompson and Cam Whitmore. One thing I have never done is not made the playoffs, and so we want to take that step here as well. Six. Five, four, three, two, one. What's up and welcome to another edition of Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. As always, I'm your host, Jackson Gatlin, native Houstonian and credentialed media member. I'm also the host of Locked on NBA Mondays. Be sure to follow along on Twitter at JT Gatlin and the show, of course, at Locked on Rockets, free and available wherever you listen to your podcasts, including YouTube. Now, today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked on. Make every moment more with FanDuel. Right now, new customers can bet $5 and get 200 in bonus bets back guaranteed. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked on to get started. And as always, thank you so much for making Locked on Rockets part of your day every single day, whether it's on the way to work, on your lunch break, in the gym. Thank you for making LOR part of your day every single day. Joining us now is your weekly co-host, none other than the pod father himself, Rockets Wire editor and host of the Logger Line podcast, Ben DuBose. You can track down on Twitter at Ben DuBose here to react to and discuss Camp day three takeaways for your Houston Rockets. A lot to get to. We saw some dominant play from Alper and Shingun, kind of looking like a man, a man amongst boys during the little bit of Rockets scrimmage footage that we saw. We spoke with Ime Udoka, Reggie Bullock, the newest member of your Houston Rockets, as well as Jalen Green, some observations there, um, some important little nuggets of information. And then we also had a massive uh, glowing issue article from Zach Lowe with some positivity for the first time and I don't know how many years been from a national media member which is a bit of a nice of you know kind of change of pace as we're entering phase two of this era of Rockets basketball yeah I think it comes with the territory when you hire Ime Udoka I think all of a sudden there's a lot more credibility nationally to where people are going to actually pay attention to you now and perhaps look for the positives and not all the negatives Absolutely. And we're going to we're going to spend some time kind of uh, sharing our favorite pieces from that article a little bit later on in the show. But we'll start with kind of day three camp takeaways. And, you know, Ben, I think for me, it's been a recurring theme throughout camp is just the kind of energy around the team is different. The approach to how they're doing things is different. And today, specifically, a lot of what we discussed uh, with Ime, with Jalen, was this idea of, you know, how he can get the most out of Jalen Green. And a big part of that, and this was kind of a, a part as well in the Zach Lowe article, is just the idea of Jalen having a different role this year, right? And Ime has talked con consistently about wanting Jalen to become a better all-around player, consistently mentions, you know, him doing things on the floor that elevate his teammates, right? Playing defense, making the right reads offensively, that kind of stuff. And when asked, when I got the chance to ask Ime about how do you balance, you know, 
having Jalen get those reps where he is playing off ball, right? Versus the times where he's going to have the ball in his hands and he's going to be able to kind of run the offense a little bit. And Ime highlighted, he said, you know, you look at the people that we brought in, right? We brought in Fred Van Vliet, right? He's a guy that can, you know, that can run the offense and that can also, but can also play off ball a little bit. But then he also highlighted Alperin Shingun, right? His specific yes. quote, he mentioned Fred and Al P when talking about getting Jalen off the ball. And I think when you look at that, and the way that those were the very first two names that come to mind, obviously Fred was brought in to run the offense. But the fact that Shingun was the very second name that he mentioned and the way that we're kind of seeing Shingun utilized in some of these scrimmage footages and just kind of our general understanding of what Ime wants to accomplish with this team offensively, I think Shingun, he's going to be a very big part of the Rockets offense. We saw the other day the quote about you don't need, you know, a primary ball handler or your primary, you know, playmaker doesn't need to be a ball dominant guard right when you mm -hmm. have a big that can pass the way Alper and Shinkun does I said it all the way back in July Ime Udoka was incredibly excited about the passing and the playmaking ability that Alper and Shinkun brings to the table and I think we're going to see that on full display and really see a coach who knows how to tap into that passing this season and I think it also helps that you have a point guard now in Fred Van Fleet who is an extension of the coach on the floor and is going to be looking through much the same lens that I think Ime does in terms of what makes sense for the team. And yeah, it flashed to me through the scrimmage videos. Alperin Shingun was the best player on the floor for long stretches. And it honestly shouldn't be that surprising because even with Fred and Dylan, when you think back to last season, of all the guys on the court, the guy I would argue that looked the closest at times to being a top NBA playmaker was Alperin Shingun. It wasn't every game, but there were stretches a year ago where you could see clearly with the right molding, with the right development, he could be one of those guys, a legit top option on a good offensive team. I'm not going to say there was just zero games from, you know, Fred, Jalen, Dylan, but I think all P had the longest stretch of anyone on the current roster a season ago at being the top option. And that's more or less what flashed in the scrimmage footage that I've seen. He just looks like a guy who more often than not is going to be the most creative, the most dynamic player on the floor. And that's where I think a lot of it is going to also feed into Fred Van Fleet as the new point guard, someone who's on multiple occasions this week talks about how he has no ego. I think you're going to see much more of a, what makes sense for the team, what's working approach this year, as opposed to the last couple of years. You know, we've all seen the memes, but it's been, you know, your turn, my turn, whose turn is it to cook? At this point, I think it's going to be much more of a meritocracy in terms of Fred taking a steady, just veteran mindset to looking at what's going on on the court and trying to feed the hottest and most efficient hand. And in a lot of matchups, that's going to be all for in Shingun. Hot boys. Hot boys, right? <laughs> Look, you know, I, I, you know, when we, if you haven't seen the scrimmage footage, it's on the LOR YouTube channel. Go <laughs> check it out. It's about 30 minutes of action. I, I think about 10 ish minutes of actual scrimmaging and then just, you know, some doing some free throw drills and then to wrap things up, uh, a little friendly, uh, three point shootout between, uh, Alper and Shingun and, and Boban, uh, which was Boban surprisingly, he's got some range. He might be he the, does. the best, most tallest three point shooter in the world, I guess. Um, Boban was, was actually one of my go tos last year, you know, before. Four games to try and get a little bit of warm-up footage for 790 and that was actually one of the most popular in terms of viral content was Boban shooting threes because anything Boban goes viral and he's actually surprisingly good at it you would not think a, you know a seven foot four giant can stroke threes but he absolutely can 
He's a really he is an incredibly talented player yeah, and actually skilled. surprisingly well coordinated for being a seven foot four like behemoth of a human being. Yeah, um, absolutely. For, and for Shingun, right? We just you know take it with a grain of salt because the the team that he was matched up against, um, he was playing against Jeff Green, Tari Eason, Cam Whitmore, Amin Thompson, and Jay Shante, which was a very interesting five man lineup that did have some struggles, especially on the offensive end of the well, basketball, which we'll kind of discuss here in just a moment. Sure, um, and that also plays into what Shingun's weakness is. It, the big question is going to be how much can Ime trust him on the defensive end, and so you're not exactly getting tested when that's the opposition. But on a team that's not expected to win big anyway, you know, I think that concern is slightly overblown. Just saying it is going to be, as you get to the preseason, curious to see how he holds up against better competition. No, absolutely. And, and just, but at least on the offensive side, right, we saw kind of a, a variety of different moves from Shingun. We saw a point where he, you know, got the seal on his man and Dylan Brooks had the ball in the corner and he called for it and Dylan immediately recognized and, and you know, dumped the ball in. Dylan clears out the corner. Al P backs him down, commands the double team, kicks it back out to Dylan for a wide open three. Dylan missed the three-pointer from the top of the key, but then Al P goes up, gets the offensive put back, awesome two points. There's another play where he comes down and, he fakes a DHO handoff and he drives it hard to the rim and finishes strong, uh, gets the and one on on Jeff Green. And Jeff just, you know, Jeff turns around and you see him on the camera. He's just like shaking his head, smiling. Yeah. And he hands his, he holds his arm up like there's nothing I can do about it, man. At one point, Alpi's going for a rebound and Tari has to foul him because he's just so physical down low in the paint. And Tari's looking at the ref like it's not a foul. And Alpi's mm -hmm. been calling for the foul the whole time. It, it was a great little, you know, a lot of action to really pick apart from, you know, that uh, the it was, you know, the black team versus the white team kind of uh, Alpi playing on the black team with with Fred, with Jalen, uh, with Dylan and with Jabari. So essentially it was the starting five against, you know, kind of a version of the bench brigade for the Rockets. And that five looked really, really good in the stretches that we saw from them. But we do want to talk about Alpi's defense as well as some of the takeaways from Reggie Bullock's first interview uh, as a member of the Houston Rockets, the newest acquisition, some takeaways from what Jalen Green had to say, and then also the Zach Lowe article that hit everybody's feeds early Thursday morning. We're going to get there in just one moment. First, today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Snap into the action this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Because right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets. $200 guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to finally get in on the action. The app is so easy to use. There's a wide range of bets betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and so much more. Right now, you can take a look at the outright betting favorites for Super Bowl 58, the Kansas City Chiefs, Taylor Swift's team, uh, shout out to Travis Kelsey, uh, plus 550 to win it all, tied with the 49ers currently also at plus 550. Right behind them, you have the Eagles at plus 650, and rounding up the top five, you have the Buffalo Bills at plus 700, and the Dallas Cowboys at plus 850 to walk away with the title this year. So visit FanDuel for all those odds and so much more. FanDuel.com slash locked on to kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. And continuing on here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. Now, as we kind of shift gears here and take a look at some of the defensive things that really stood out during the uh, little bit of scrimmage footage that we got uh, from the third day of Rockets training camp, we'll stick with Alperin Shingun, I guess, might as well, because not only was he dominant on the offensive side of the basketball and looked like nobody could guard him. He made some really quality plays defensively. Yeah. There was a point where Amin Thompson had Alpi on a switch and, you know, Amin is a guy who has all the physical tools to make, you know, to embarrass Alpi on that end of the floor. And Alpi was, he moved his feet well. He stayed in front of Amin. And again, he's got those incredibly 
quick hands and he's got great anticipation skills. Yes. That's one of the reasons that he's such a great offensive player is his processing speed is just so far and above better than, than a lot of his competition. So it should, in theory, make him a good defender when he uses that the brain of his to figure out what a player is trying to do uh, when he's on the defensive side and you see him like side, you know, a man is sizing him up, trying to figure out how he's going to break him down. And then Shingun just gets a quick hand in there and tips the ball away. And Jabari Smith Jr. is able to recover it and go, you know, streaking the opposite direction. It's moments like that where you start to see, man, like, you know, Ime is trusting Shingun to switch and it worked on that yep. possession. Right. And it's not, it's probably not going to work every single possession. There's going to be some times where he's on an Island. He's going to get burned, but at least he's got the confidence from this new coaching staff to try things that he hasn't been able to try before in his career. Yeah. I think back to his rookie season, his numbers against switches were actually pretty good. And then they got away from it for a large portion of last season. But look, this comparison gets overdone, but I don't know how you can look at Shingun and not, think of many of the same criticisms that were lobbed at Nikola Jokic early in his Denver career, specifically on the defensive end, it became very evident within the first two or three years just how dominant he could be on the offensive end. But people looked at how slow and relatively immobile he was, especially laterally at times. And a lot of folks just wanted to pigeonhole him. Well, the issue is when you are that good of a processor to the point where you can take over a game with your playmaking on offense and Let's not say that Shingun is in Jokic's even stratosphere yet. Let's not get carried away. All I'm saying is just, you know, small sample, little things here and there in terms of what we can extrapolate. That carries over on defense as well, because I can remember people thinking that Jokic would be a net liability for his entire career, and he hasn't been. And some of it, you know, Jokic is just so damn huge that that makes him something of a presence. But I also think that beyond just him being huge and being able to suck up rebounds, he's also a half step ahead, it feels like at all times because of how he processes the game. And I don't know why that wouldn't apply to Shingun as well. We've seen it in stretches the last couple of years. It felt like the Rockets, for whatever reason, just overly fixated on the physical limitations. But there are ways to overcome those. And at this point, when it's not like you have another alternative at center, I don't know why you wouldn't trust it and hope for the best. Because as we said in the first segment, clearly, he's when he's right, he's your highest upside playmaker. And so if you can keep him on the floor at even a passable level defensively, then it's going to be worth it to you. And in that scrimmage, he was more than passable. Absolutely. And and Emei highlighted, right? He's like, he's seen lesser athletes do more defensively. And so there's not an excuse for Alpi to not be able to do it. So whether it's uh, whether it's mental, whether it's effort, whether it's whatever it is, the, the physical limitations are no longer going to be an excuse with this coaching staff. And I do think that when you look at <clears throat> what Alpi can provide, right? The reason, you know, you get away with Jokic is obviously he's, you know, a two-time, almost three-time MVP, NBA champion, and he is a, a, you know, a basketball savant, if you will, an offense unto himself. Obviously, that's, you know, tough to live up to if you're outpouring, which is why the comparisons are oftentimes unfair. Those are massive shoes to try and fill. But if you look at and try to, I try to break it down in the simplest terms, right? If Alp can be a plus 10 offensively, and he's, you know, netting you like a minus 2.5 on defense. That's still a yeah. plus 7.5 rating. Like you live with that. You love that rating. But Absolutely. what happened last year is the Rockets never really fully leaned into LP. They never really em- empowered him to be the best version of himself offensively and kind of pigeon held him into this role where he was exclusively a rim runner, exclusively just do this, get the ball out of your hands, whatever. And he might have been, you know, 
a 2.5 on offense. And then he might have even been a two a minus 2.5 or a minus 5 on defense because the whole team was awful defensively. So then you're looking at a player who's kind of a net negative at the end of the day. So that's a really, really dumbed down, like, you know, simplified version of this equation here. But if you can get enough offensive output from Alper and Shingun and they get him to a level, like you said, where he's at least passable defensively, or even if he is a little bit of a negative on that end, if the offense far outweighs the negative of the defense, then you live with it. It works. Yeah, absolutely. And this is year three where you have a decision to make on him after the season in terms of do you offer him a contract extension? How much? You have every incentive beyond just the micro of getting a win in a given game and the fact that his playmaking might give you the best chance. In the macro, you also have an enormous incentive to figure out with all P and Jalen in particular, exactly what you have this season so that you can project out into the future on what their next deal, assuming they stay in Houston, looks like. So beyond just the micro, I would say in the macro as well, you have every incentive this season to figure out what you have there. And to start the year with all the changes, because it is going to be a very different starting lineup than the one they finished last year on, to me, he's a nice bridge that can sort of integrate a lot of new pieces simply because of how well he sees the floor. A couple of the other uh, kind of observations that I had from uh, today's scrimmage, uh, Tari kind of struggling a little bit, right? Yeah. And again, that that whole unit, it's it, not really a lot of complimentary pieces there. Unfortunately, again, that five that was running together, uh, Jay Sean Tate, Amin Thompson, Tari Eason, Cam Whitmore, and Jeff Green, a bit of a funky five, not a ton of offensive firepower, a lot of great connective tissue pieces with Amin and with Jay Sean and, and Tari is a great role player. And, and Cam, for the most part, has been kind of, They've got him kind of playing like a, a you know, a, just a, a spot up shooting wing so far. There's not a lot of, you know, he's not getting the ball. He's not creating. He's not running offense. He's very much being told, hey, go spot up, take the spot, play hard defense, keep your head down, do your thing um, as far as how they're utilizing him so far. And then Jeff is a great, you know, versatile piece to be able to throw out there as a stretch five who can you can run some offense through him a little bit. So some of the same sets and designs that you might see for Alper and Shingun, Jeff Green can easily run those same sets and designs because he's, you know, a capable passer in his own right and can read and can, you know, kind of break down a defense from the top of the key with his passing just like Al P can. But that five together really struggled. And I think a part of it was also just how locked in defensively the starting five was of Fred, Jalen, uh, Dylan, especially Dylan was an absolute menace in practice. There were moments where he was clamping up yeah. a man. There were moments like he checked a men full court at one point and pressured him to pass the ball because they were doing some full court trapping schemes. Um, at one point he forced a turnover from Jay Sean Tate where he, like Jay Sean walked the ball. And as soon as he was over half court, Dylan was pressed up on him and basically used the half court line and the kind of the over and back, right. To force a turnover from Jay Sean Tate, just a lot of, of high intensity basketball being played from Dylan Brooks in those scrimmages, but Tari kind of struggling offensively a little bit was, was a takeaway that I had. There's some moments where you still see the, the tunnel vision, the blinders are on a little mm -hmm. bit for him. And you can kind of see where, Tari's energy and enthusiasm and effort is something that kind of the chaos that he brings is something yes. that really shines in, in, a game. You know, in an NBA game. But it's one of those things where you see it in practice. And you're like, oh, this is, you know, this doesn't look as great in practice because it just looks sloppy. It looks messy. And conversely, I would say that Jay Sean Tate looks really good in practice. And I don't want to say he hasn't looked good in the NBA. A lot of it's been that he just hasn't been able to stay on the floor last season. And then towards the end of the season before that. But I, I thought, Tate actually looked pretty good the last couple of days in the footage that I've seen. But yeah, it's been offset by Tari struggling on the offensive end. I agree with you that I think he sort of plays off the chaos of a game. That's where he feeds. Whereas 
Tate's approach, even though in theory it's sort of an interesting contrast because those two guys, they're not that dissimilar in terms of their body types, their approach to the game, but just in terms of how Tate actually gets his production, he's much more methodical, and that approach I think works well in a very structured setting like a practice, whereas with Tari, he's much more of a guy who turns it loose and when there's a live ball scenario in a real game where there's a bit more chaos that's what plays to his strengths a bit more so we'll have to see how both of those translate to real game scenarios I would also say that that second unit is where I think Reggie Bullock clearly has a role whenever he's ready I know this was just his first day with the team they finally cleared him uh late last night but there's just not a lot of floor spacing when you're talking about Amen Thompson and Jay Sean Tate, and even though Tari shot threes at a respectable level last year, it wasn't really scaled up in terms of volume. I don't know that you'd really consider him a spacer at this point. Uh, opposing team scouting reports do not count him as a spacer at this point. Right, sure. right. Yeah, I mean, I was trying to be nice, but yeah, the point is you have three largely non-shooters, and then, you know, Cam is something of a question mark, although he's looked decent so far, and Jeff, for a big man, can definitely shoot. That's a that, That's a positive in his column. But by and large, that second unit, there are some spacing issues. And so you can see why they signed Reggie Bullock, a guy who shot 38% on threes last year, because without Kevin Porter Jr., that's a skill set that bench definitely needs. Absolutely. And again, they're, they're, this is not hockey. You're not going to see like, uh, you know, very many, if at all, any five man lineup changes um, where you're going to be forced to watch that group specifically play some basketball. This was an issue where I think it was much more about getting those five on five reps for the starters more than it was about, you know, identifying what the bench unit right. could ultimately right. do. And then uh, Jock Landale was not an active participant in the part of the scrimmage that we got to see at the end as media were, were you know, allowed into the gymnasium. Uh, but Jock was he looked healthy. He looked fine he was just standing off to the side um it's very possible that as he's still coming back from that ankle injury that they just don't want to want him going too hard so you know it might just be a thing where he was a participant in the earlier part of practice and then kind of uh cooled down a little bit at the end it didn't go for the entirety of the day or they again maybe they just wanted to take a look at jeff green with that lineup specifically because if you throw jock out there then that's another you know non-shooter at least at this point uh historically right so that might have you know compounded the spacing even more so but Coming up, our final segment, we're going to get into a couple of the comments from uh, Reggie Bullock, his first media interview with, uh, you know, as an official member of the Houston Rockets, as well as some thoughts from Jalen Green. And then we're going to get into Zach Lowe's article about Jalen Green. It's all coming up here in just one moment. First, today's episode is brought to you by Bird Dogs. Look, I didn't really used to be a shorts guy until I found bird dogs. Now, I, you know, I'd wear basketball shorts or whatever, you know, working out that kind of thing. But I wouldn't wear shorts to like go hang out with people or go out on a date or anything like that because I never felt great about the shorts that I had available. And then I got my hands on some bird dogs. First off, they're so incredibly comfortable. They've got this like cozy little liner on the inside. The fabric is soft, breathable. It looks great on me. I always wore pants before, right? Something hip to ankle, jeans, khakis, sweatpants, whatever. But now I feel comfortable and confident rocking my bird dogs right hanging out with friends you can wear them to a you know beach day pool party you can swim in them like i said wear them out on a date they are the most comfortable versatile shorts that you will ever own you got to go grab yourself a pair go to birddogs.com slash locked on nba or enter promo code locked on nba at checkout and they'll throw in a free bird dogs water bottle with every single order that you make that's birddogs.com slash locked on nba for a free water bottle at checkout you won't want to take your bird dogs off i promise you that 
and final segment here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. We'll get through some of the very quick kind of comments from Reggie Bullock and, and Jalen Green. Uh, Reggie, you know, just when asked about what he can provide to this team, he highlighted, you know, the, the strengths that he brings as a player, right? Spacing, shooting. Uh, he said being coachable. He mentioned that he loves defense, and it's great that, you know, the Rockets are able to bring in you know, obviously, you know, when drafted Jabari, Tari, or guys who have kind of hung their hat defensively, you know, as as younger players uh, through their collegiate years and everything. But uh, it's different, you know, bringing in veterans who also can hang their hat on the defensive end, right? Saying, I love defense, right? And that's just adding it to, you know, guys like Fred and Dylan and Jeff and uh, Jock Landale. So adding another veteran piece that can, you know, help mold the identity of this team with Ime Odoka is going to be really fantastic. And at one point he was asked, um, you know, just kind of thoughts on, some of the young talent as he's faced them over the last couple of years uh, playing against the Rockets. And one of the things that he said kind of stood out um, about Jabari Smith Jr. Actually, and I might be reading too much into this, but he said at one point talking about Jabari around the free throw line when highlighting areas of the floor that these guys are being effective in, or that, that, you know, he's seen them be effective in. And that leads me to believe that I think we're going to see, uh, hopefully some, you know, actions that involve Jabari at the elbow, you know, kind of in that bread and butter sweet spot yeah. that he had at Auburn. One of the many strange things from last season, remember the game from, I can't remember if it was November or December, but it was the first half of the year when Jabari had like 16 points in the first Against quarter the at Dallas. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. At Dallas. And he somehow never got the ball there again, the duration of that yep. game or the, for the most part, the duration of that he season. Got, he it's got like, two oh, that, more shots the rest of that game. Two more shots. It was yeah, ridiculous. And it's not just, you know, it's not just about the shot attempt. It's where, like, he consistently found it at that spot on the floor. And we've talked a lot about, you know, how his shooting struggles as a rookie may have been the longer NBA three-point line, his body not fully built up yet from a strength perspective. So perhaps trying to sort of leverage that 15, 16-foot game where he can just rise and fire over guys Dirk style, that would be so logical. And yet in that game and for the, the rest of the season, for whatever reason, they just never came back to it. Uh, hopefully that's something that the new regime with Ime Udoka does a bit differently. And one other point that I would bring up from the from the Bullock interview, I thought it was interesting that he said he had heard great things about where the organization is going because it is an implicit endorsement, whether you want to say it's Ime, Rafael Stone, Tillman Fertitta, the teammates, whoever you want to give it credit to. The point is that the Rockets are increasingly being seen as a more, I don't know if player-friendly organization is the right framing, but just more on the rise. Like we let off this podcast talking about the Zach Lowe article and, you know, we're not used to seeing nice things said in the national media. Now you're getting that. So Ime is obviously the most notable change, but regardless of the reason, you can tell that the perception, while not night and day different, it's starting to shift. And that's one of those things, you know, the Rockets have tried for a while to be a player-friendly organization, but at some point, if the product on the floor is a joke, then there's only so far that, you know, goodwill with, other teams and agents and what have you, you know, there's only so far that can go. But all of a sudden, if you start seeing some brighter spots on the court, then perhaps that stuff starts uh, having a bit more of an effect around the league to the point where a guy like Reggie Bullock, who clearly had other offers for the league minimum, chose you over other teams and other contenders for that matter. Yeah, things are things are finally trending, you know, in the right direction in Houston, which we haven't been able to say for a, a you know at least a few years now. Uh, Jalen, you know, not not a ton to take away from Jalen's interview. Just you know, he was asked some questions about playing more off ball, and he highlighted the fact that he played off ball his rookie year, which is not 
I feel like not technically correct. He played, it's technically correct because he played off ball, but he wasn't being strategically used off ball, right? He was being thrown in the corner, a la PJ Tucker. <laughs> and, um, you know, now he's actually being used as a slasher, as a cutter. He's coming off motion, you know, things like that. Um, and he's got, you know, weapons offensively that can set him up more effectively. Uh, Ime continually highlights, you know, Fred Van Vliet and, and Alperin Shingun, some of the, the vision for how they're going to be deploying things offensively to make life easier for. Jalen Green. And when I asked Jalen about what he envisions uh, being a year three leap for him, because Jonathan Fagan was talking about, you know, year year three mm-hmm. is often the year that players and Jalen Jalen was like, yeah, I hear it all the time. Like, so I'm sure Jalen hears the contract a lot. Year. Yeah, 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 the contract year, everything. Um, when I asked Jalen, what does a year three leap look like for you? He just said winning. It was just what he said, one word. He said winning. And then Fagan kind of followed up and asked, like, you know, what is it winning? Like, do, does do you have to put up the numbers for this team to win? Or would you be content with taking, you know, less shots or putting up fewer numbers if it means the team is winning and playing winning basketball? And Jalen has the right mentality. He says, look, I, I just I haven't done any winning to, at this point in my career. It's time to it's time to change things. It's time to change the narrative. Um, so Jalen's saying and doing all the right things so far. He in, you know, continuously, he's just I want to do whatever it takes to win. And that kind of feeds us directly into the Zach Lowe yes. article uh, titled uh, Jalen Green and a potentially supercharged Houston Rockets Ascension. First, probably positive headline we've seen in so long <laughs> from the national media. Ben, I'll let you lead us off. What was your major takeaway from this Zach Lowe piece? So I had two. Uh, in terms of Jalen, I really liked the confirmation that he was the player on January 1st, 2022 who went at Christian Wood. There was that anecdote at the time that a young player on the Rockets basically said, you're supposed to be our leader and you're half-assing it. And of course, in the Denver game, that was the one where he was benched because he missed his mandatory COVID test. He didn't even want to go in the game, period. And I always wondered if it could have been Jalen, but we never had the direct confirmation. We got as close to confirmation as you'll ever get. Uh, Pretty much the same exact phrasing, the same exact story. Now, the... Zach Lowe article today says that neither Jalen Green nor anyone else with the Rockets wanted to identify the player by name. That's obvious. They don't want it to be like, I'm taking shots and turn it into a personal beef. But come on, we can read between the lines. It was Christian Wood. And I think that's noteworthy because, again, it shows you that even as a 19-year-old rookie, he had the bigger picture. He wanted to be taught. He wanted to learn these things. And that's crucial because for Jalen to ever be the best of his archetype, He's going to have to do the little things. This is not a case of a guy who's just so overwhelmingly large or athletic. He is athletic, but he doesn't have it combined with the otherworldly size for his position. It's not like any of his traits are so elite that all he has to do is physically show up on the on the court. And it's sort of like, you know, I don't want to take away from LeBron, but you know what I'm saying? Like LeBron has the type of body that gives him such an enormous edge. Kevin Durant is seven feet tall. Not that they don't do other things, they do, but just to start with in their careers. With Jalen, it's always been, in terms of him achieving the high-end outcome for his archetype, it's going to have to be largely how savvy is he? How Not just how much How how crafty can he become and how can he leverage his craft with his insane 99th percentile athleticism and kind of marry those two things to then become an effective force. Because the bottom line, yes, with his archetype, I think Jalen can become a Jordan Clarkson type or better, maybe a 25 points per game Jordan Clarkson, given how scoring around the league continues to rise with each year with ease. But that's sort of a net neutral player if he's not really doing it in a team construct. He's not defending at a high level. So 
I, I find it interesting you go with Jordan Clarkson as the comp because I mean, you know, statistically he's trending and 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 he's right along the same path as again all his comps, right? Zach Levine, Bradley Beal, well, Devin Booker, the, and year no, no, three no. was the year where Devin Booker really took off. So no, no, I'm I'm saying Clarkson as a very low end comp. If he didn't okay. do all, what I'm saying is that if he doesn't take advantage of his gifts, then basically if he just wants to be a bucket, which is the quote that Rafael had in the Zach Lowe article, if that's all he wants to do then he's going to be Jordan Clarkson. But he can be better than that. A lot of it's going to come down to how much he wants it. And so the fact that he does want to be coach, that he does care about winning, that he sees the bigger picture, and it's not just lip service in an article. I mean, these are actions. He did this when he was 19 years old as an NBA rookie against a guy who I believe led the team in scoring the previous year and was the most established name going into the season. That's not easy. The politics of NBA locker rooms, you don't see rookies doing things like that. So. Again, I think it tells you that underneath it all, he gets it. Does it guarantee that things are going to work out? No, but in terms of him being more than a Jordan Clarkson and leveraging his athleticism the right way to eventually get to those higher-end outcomes, when we talk about you know, Bradley Beal and Zach Levine and hopefully more than that, then this is the place to start. So I would say just the, the confirmation of that, it sort of tells you what Jalen's makeup is. And I think maybe that's why the Rockets were comfortable taking him a spot in front of Evan Mobley, who to this point has been a better player. But of course, there's been wildly different circumstances in Cleveland. The other takeaway that I really like from the article, and this is not related to Jalen, I love that Ime went on the record with why they preferred Fred Van Vliet to James Harden. I liked it for a couple of reasons. First off, the reporting's been out there for months. There's been a lot of gossip sites running with this, and you know the Rockets' position did sort of change once Ime got the job, or at least the leaks, the rumor mills started to shift around that point. I think in terms of being viewed as a player-friendly organization, which we were just saying, and it's been sort of a theme for a while now, you might as well get out and own it yourself. And I think, uh, honestly, him putting his name to it can potentially help because it gives you a layer of authenticity and honesty as opposed to letting sort of the, the tabloids, the gossip sites sort of speak for you and there being this level of supposition. No, just come outright and own it. I think that's the level of authenticity that in, in a league where there's less trust by the day, I think that may resonate with a lot of players. And I also thought he handled it well you know, as someone that was very open to James Harden, and we did plenty of shows on that, the one thing I didn't like on the anti-Harden arguments was how short-sighted and emotional some of them were. Not saying that there weren't real reasons not to go after James Harden. There were, and ultimately they did not. But a lot of the things you heard about on social media were just these things like, oh, he burned us a couple of years ago. Oh, he chokes in the playoffs. Number one, I don't fully agree with that. And secondly, even if you accept that, why does it matter when you've been the worst team in the Western Conference the last three years? And there was just a very sort of short-term focus, I would say, in in terms of the anti-Harden arguments. Whereas what he said in this, it's not about that. And the other argument I heard a lot was, oh, he's a bad influence. Well, spoiler alert, I'm pretty sure Jalen Green knows what it's as if you're going to have to. It, it's not as if he needs a caretaker in the locker room. What Ime said in this article, and he said on the record, agree that with James Harden, he's a lot more ball dominant than Fred Van Fleet. So Fred has more off-ball ability. It's easier to give someone like Jalen or even Jabari as a forward some more on-ball creation reps. And that's fair. That That's a completely valid argument. And so I like that not only did they own it on the record, 
they owned it without it coming across as personal or emotional. They explained a very strategic reason that I think even James Harden himself would have to, you know, acknowledge if he's being honest. Yeah, no, I, I love the reasoning behind it. It was the reasoning that we kind of speculated on a lot. Like, hey, you know, Fred, as a, and, and I, I do think Fred Fitz is a bit more of a leader, right? And we're kind of already seeing Fred's leadership in full yep. effect. Like, you know, can we imagine James Harden walking in? And it's not that James is necessarily a bad leader. He's, you know, James, for all intents and purposes, every previous teammate James has had has said he's been nothing but fantastic to him. And, and there's tons of glowing remarks about him as a teammate. But uh, for me, I, you know, there was one point later on in the article, uh, and I love this little tidbit, this little anecdote uh, involving John Lucas, actually, who's been a big part of these last two years for the Houston Rockets. He'll still continue to be a big part of the organization moving forward, even though he won't be directly on the bench with Ime Odoka and the, the new staff here in Houston. But uh, when talking about kind of Jalen Green's defense, right, and how he develops and grows on that side, uh, John Lucas said, we've argued a lot, Lucas said, about Green when the subject turned to defense. Mm. Jalen can guard when he wants to. He just hasn't been required to yet. And then the, this little anecdote, I love it here. Lucas loves needling Green to get under his skin and motivate him. He sometimes asks Green where he was selected in the draft. And when Green replies that he was the second pick, Lucas, the top pick in 1976, <laughs> boasts that he might have already been at the after party or even asleep by the time the second pick rolled around in mm. his draft. He gets so mad, Lucas said, laughing. When Lucas finds out Green admires opposing players like De'Aaron Fox and Anthony Edwards, as most recent examples, he tells Green that if he's such a fan, Lucas can walk to the opponent locker room and ask for a pair of signed shoes. John Lucas is such a massive troll, and like this matches just his ability to really resonate and, and get with players and kind of you know, mess with them a little bit, right? Be yeah. have that camaraderie with them. And I think that's why John Lucas has had such a successful career as a coach, because he really understands how to connect with players. And I think it is important for Jalen to stop viewing, you know, opposing players like a De'Aaron Fox or like an Anthony Edwards to stop looking up to those players and realizing like, Hey, I'm, I'm a, I'm one of their peers, right? Like I can admire you from afar, but it, it needs to be a thing where he, you know, if he wants to model some of his game after them, cool. But you know, he's got some growing up to do. And I think that's part of it, right? Realizing that you're in the same league as these guys, right? You're not, you're no longer, you know, a kid looking up to these guys. This is your competition now and you've got to make the most of it. So I love that little uh, anecdote about John Lucas. And uh, again, it's, it's exciting that he'll, he'll continue to be a big part of this organization moving forward. We got to wrap things up here, but Ben, you know, the drill, let everybody know where to track you down at, man. Yep, Ben Dubois on Twitter, the Rockets Wire on Twitter, slash X, and the Logger Line on Twitter for all of your uh, podcast coverage. RocketsWire.usatoday.com for the website. That's going to do it for another edition of Locked on Rockets. As always, thank you so much for checking out the show. If you haven't done so yet, please consider subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts or on YouTube. Just search Locked on Rockets. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. Be sure to stay tuned for all of the remaining training camp action and footage that we've got coming your way. But as always, thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. And we look forward to having you back right here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball.